Welcome to the Impact Church Podcast, and thank you so much for joining us as we seek to establish Christ followers who live in obedience to God's Word and make an impact in their community and the world through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Pastor Brad begins a new sermon series called Return and Rebuild, a journey through the book of Ezra. Are you ready to make an impact for Christ? The time is now. Amen. Welcome, Impact Church. It's a new year. Are you glad to be a new creation in Christ? Amen. Are you glad Jesus came to make all things new? Praise God for who he is and his faithfulness. Welcome here this morning in a new sermon series we're starting today that I'm excited to um, bring to you guys because the Lord has shown me a lot, taught me a lot, and I think he's going to do a lot for you as well, especially as we move forward, because we are going to be going through the book of Ezra in the Old Testament. And some people would be like, man, why are we going through Ezra? What's in Ezra? Some people, y'all don't even know where to find Ezra. You're like, is that a book in the Bible? Yeah, it's in there. It's in your Old Testament, hidden back in there. So we're going to be going through this book. And the reason why is because we had just come through a very lengthy sermon series called Counterculture for 16 weeks where we hit the very sensitive and most um, kind of gut-wrenching topics facing our church and our society today as a whole and what God's word says about it. And we spoke the truth in love over all these issues, subject matters, things that are, are right up in our face. And, and at the end of that, we talked about making a stand in a godless culture. And we talked about this dude named Daniel. Y'all remember that, how we closed that sermon series up? And how there was this period of time here that we're going to look at where Israel had been, because of their sin, taking out of Jerusalem, taking out of Judah, and brought under captivity in Babylon. And they were trying to brainwash them with the culture. And, and Daniel was making a stand for Christ. So we, so we alluded to that. And because we've gone through that whole sermon series about things that, that the enemy is using to destroy people in their lives, sin, right? And we looked at that. So now what happens after that? All right, so great. Maybe many people were convicted through some of the things that God's word presented through that whole sermon series. And, and that's beautiful. That's what should happen. But then how do you move past that? How do you conquer addictions? How do you move past bad habits, lifestyles that are destroying you, your family, people around you? That's what this sermon series is about. So that's why we're going to do the book of Ezra. And the sermon series is called Return and Rebuild. Because what we're going to see through this sermon series is how God, after these people had been brought into captivity through and because of their sin, now God in his faithfulness is calling them back. Say, so if you'll repent, if you'll turn from your sin, that you're going to seek me, you're going to find me, and you're going to return to me, and I'm going to rebuild everything that was lost and destroyed. That's what God wants to say to you today, church. No matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, if you will humble yourself, repent, and turn to Jesus, he will do the work and rebuild everything that the enemy had taken. You know, we're thinking of a, a good intro to today. I, I thought about a scenario that maybe we've all been in ourselves, and especially those of us that are, that are parents and have kids. Have you ever asked your kid to go clean their room, right? I mean, and, and that's, that's a chore by itself, I mean, you know, you almost got to bribe them sometimes to, to do it, you know, or either through, you know, positive reinforcement, like rewarding, or negative reinforcement, you'll get, you know, your butt, do it, all that kind of stuff, right? So you got to kind of coax them a little bit. But then when they do it, and you, and you go, you say, man, I'm coming up there in an hour, and I want to see it clean. And you go up there, and the room's clean. You're like, wow. But then you start thinking, where'd all that stuff go <laughs> that was in the floor <laughs> and everywhere else? Where'd it go? closet, under the bed, shoved in the drawers, dirty underwear and drawers all stuck up in there, balled up. So the outside looked clean, but under the surface, she was still dirty. Guys, our life is like that a lot of times. We try to clean up the outside and we just stuff all the junk in the closet. Give you another scenario that we all go through in life. You go to clean your living room. 
but what's under the couch? <laughs> How does all that stuff get under the couch? That's what I want to know. Maybe my couch is just worse than y'all's because I got a couple kids that like eat and we let them eat on the couch and all that stuff. But man, junk can accumulate under your couch. Even not on purpose. Stuff gets kind of squished down between the cushions and eventually it falls down under there. Then you get all the dust and everything else. And before long, you move that couch or flip that bad boy over and you're like, ooh. You've been cleaning your living room for a couple months and it's spick and span, but under that couch that you can't see, it's just, it's got nasty over time. Guys, that's the message of this series. That a lot of times when we go to clean things up, we purposely sometimes just shove things in the closet and stick them in the drawers of life so people don't see it. And then there's other times where Maybe just through our own blindness and our own pride and our own sin where inadvertently things fall between the cushions of the couch of life and get accumulating up under there. And even though we're cleaning the living room of life, making everything look good, there's some stuff we don't know about that's starting to stink. And if we don't take care of it, it's going to be a real problem. So that's this sermon series of God calling us, me, you, to total in repentance so that we can be all God wants us to be, designed us to be, and longs for us to be as we shine the light of Christ to a lost and hurting world. So this is going to be about the return and the rebuild. And we're going to see that here in this sermon series. So if you think maybe you know, that counterculture series and everything that going on, man, it, it shined a light on some stuff that's in my closet I need to take care of. It let me figure out that, man, there's some things under the couch of life that, that needs to be cleaned up. But you can just honestly say, but Brad, I don't know where to go. I don't know, I don't know how to start because it's so messy. What do I do with all this stuff? What do I do with all this pain? How do I start to find hope? How do I start to find healing, restoration? If you have that question, you're in the right place. Because that's what God's going to show us. Because there's a group of people in the Bible that have been through this very same scenario. The same situation. These Israelites who had turned from their God, put a stiff arm up to his word and to the people trying to preach his word, chose their sin over God chose their pride in their own way, and it led to into destruction, despair, enslavement, but now God's calling them back. And God's calling you and me back today. Total repentance and to seek him with all our heart and with all our life. It's time to come back. It's time for the return. And it's time to see God rebuild all in your life and in your family and in this community that the enemy has stolen. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, we lift your name high today. Lord, we praise you for who you are. Lord, you are holy. You are just. You are full of mercy and grace. Lord, you give us hope. And Lord, because of you, we can have life. So Lord, we praise you. And Lord, we want to serve you. And we want to hear from you today. So Lord, as we dive in to your word and go and take a journey and start through this book of Ezra. And we learn how you and your faithfulness, yes, you are just and you punished sin. Because sin does not go unpunished. But in your faithfulness and because of who you are, you show your heart that you long to reach out to those who with a repentant heart turn back to you, turn away from the filth of sin and of the things of this world and long to be filled by you. And Lord, you invite us back and rebuild everything that the enemy had taken. So Lord, I pray, Father, today that as we hear your word. Lord, I just, I don't want to be seen. I pray nobody came here today to, to see or hear a man speak. 
We came here to hear you speak, Father. So, Lord, I want to hide behind the cross, Lord, and I just want your word to go forth in the masses. Lord, allow the people that are maybe sick and ill today and, and, and all the, even people that don't go to Impact Church or the people that maybe just stayed home today because they were uncertain of a virus that's, that's sweeping through society. And, and Lord, whatever the case may be, would you have more people listen to your word today than would have learned had there not been a virus? <laughs> Lord, would you use what the enemy meant for evil and would you turn it for good? And Lord, let your word go forth to change hearts and lives as we long to seek you to live for you, and to be a catalyst for revival in this community. Lord, that's what we're here to do. Speak to us and use us. You get all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, so we are right now going to turn to the book of Ezra, chapter 1. It's way back in the Old Testament, digging back in there. For those of you who have the old school copy of God's Word, I know it's easy on the phones and the tablets, right? You just kind of scroll till you see it. You got to do the old-fashioned sword drill on these bad boys. Y'all remember that? From Sunday school to sword drills? That was pretty cool stuff. I don't know if anybody ever does that anymore, but that's cool because we've now been in an electronic age. So anyway, if we go to the book of Ezra, what we're going to see is this prophet, Ezra, all right, this man that God's going to use to help lead some of his people back, okay? So what we're going to have here is an account of Judah's post-exilic return to Jerusalem, okay? So we're going to see this return, and even though Ezra's name is not going to show up in this book until chapter 7, we know that he is the author and that's why the book bears his name. And this is, this is what's cool. His name means Jehovah helps. Isn't that pretty cool? So we see that very from the get-go, even inside the name of this book, of this man that God's going to use, is God helps. He is Lord. He is the one. He is just. He punishes sin. But he is the one who calls us back. Man, and it's a beautiful picture right from the start, just in the title. And we know Ezra is probably likely the author of also First and Second Chronicles and also Nehemiah. Other books like Second Chronicles that talk about this time and this time period leading up to where we're here in, in Ezra, and then Nehemiah after this book of Ezra. So let's first read the first verse. That's as far as we're going to get today. And actually, we're going to only read the first half of the verse, if you will. So Ezra chapter 1, verse 1, and the Word of God says this, says, Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. Guys, we got to stop right there because what we just saw is the Word of God say that, hey, this book and everything that you're about to look at takes place so that the prophecy of Jeremiah would be fulfilled. So we've got to do what? Before we understand the book of Ezra, what do we have to do? We have to get the, yeah, that's right. We got to get the prophecy. We got to get the context. We got to get the story. We got to get the 411, right? We got to know what's going on, what's happened, what is God's word, why would it even tell us to point back to Jeremiah to understand Ezra? So we need to look at that. That's why we got to stop right there today as we introduce this sermon series in this book. And what we all know is God had originally brought Israel and all the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt through the Exodus, and that was somewhere around 1445 B.C., all right? So now you can fast forward. Here we are hundreds of years later, all right, before the events of Ezra, this book we're going to go through. God was telling his people through the prophet Jeremiah and other prophets that if they chose to continue to break his law, to break his covenant, that there was going to be punishment for sin. That he was going to use other nations like he had done before in Egypt to enslave them because of sin. He was going to use other nations again to come against them and rock their world again. So, we have, and you can go back and you can read Jeremiah, you can look in chapter 2, it alludes to all this especially, but in spite of God's repeated warnings, 
even from the mouth of these prophets like Jeremiah, these people continued to turn their hearts against God, to choose their own way instead of God's way. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar maybe at one time in your own life? Maybe for some of you, maybe that sounds familiar right now in your life. You're choosing your way and not God's way. You're ignoring what God says. You're ignoring what I say every week, and you're choosing to do what you want to do. For many people, they've experienced the pain of that already. And God's telling these people here at this time, hey, if you don't do it my way, bad things are going to happen because there's consequences for sin. So they continue to reject the Lord, reject his word, reject the, the prophets that were trying to preach his word and call them to repentance. Even indulging in worship of foreign gods and all the acts of the idolatry that took place because of it. And you could go through all that in 2 Kings and Jeremiah and everything. You can read that. We don't have time to go through all that and what that looked like. But unfortunately for them, God was true to his promise. Because they didn't repent as a nation and as a whole, even though there were some that did stand for him, but as a whole, because they chose to go against their God, he is faithful, he is just. He is a just God, a God of wrath. He must punish sin. He has to. It's his nature, it's his character, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's who he is. Yes, he is a God of mercy and grace, and we're going to see that part as well. But please don't just subtract the things of God that you don't like and try to make him into somebody that he really is not because he is still just. And he is a God of wrath just as much as he is a God of grace and mercy. And so he was faithful to fulfill his promise, and he, the Lord, brought the Assyrians and eventually the Babylonians to chastise his people to bring the paddle for what they had been doing. So quickly, to go through just a little history so you get the grasp of where we are in this book and what's taking place, around 605 to 586 B.C. now, God used these Babylonians to come in to attack, destroy, and nearly depopulate Jerusalem. There was mass destruction, tearing down buildings, even the temple, destroying things, setting things on fire, killing the people. And then the rest of them, they took into slavery. Some of them stayed there in slavery, working the fields that, that were poor or, or uneducated and of little use. And then the other ones that they felt like they could use, they took back to Babylon to brainwash them and to teach them their ways. Remember that in Daniel that we went through? So we're here in this situation where now God has punished his people by using People more evil than them. Boy, that doesn't make sense, does it? Why would God use somebody more evil than even his own people to, to bring judgment on them? We're going to see and understand that a little bit as we go through. So, long story short of it, 70 years of captivity here. And then we come to Jeremiah 25, which we'll look at here in a little bit. And then it starts this call to return. And we're going to see this beautiful picture through the prophet Jeremiah that, yes, there was this warning, but then there's this call to repentance, this call to return from a loving, holy God who wants to see his people live out everything he called them to be. That's his desire. So, we have this report here in Ezra of the start of that, and, and Nehemiah does the, the second part. And in this first portion here in verse 1, we see Cyrus of Persia come in and know that this is this first year, this new king that's now overtaken the Babylonian Empire, okay? So now there's a, there's a new sheriff in town, okay? And so this is where God starts to use people to do his will and his work here on earth. So Cyrus overthrew Babylon around 539 B.C., and then the book of Ezra begins with this decree of Cyrus in the first year for the Jews to return to Jerusalem. That was in 538 B.C. So really, if you're a history buff, you know there's basically three 
deportations of Israel out of Jerusalem and Judah into Babylon, okay, around 605, 597, and 586 BC. And now we're going to see there's actually three returns to Jerusalem from Babylon over about a 93-year period of time. In the first one, we're going to see in chapters 1 through 6 here of Ezra, was led by a dude named Zerubbabel. That's a pretty cool name to say, isn't it? Zerubbabel. Y'all want to learn how to say that? Here you go. You ready? You say Zerubbabel. All right. Got it? Y'all are good. All right, let's move on. So this happened in about 538 BC, right here at the start of Cyrus. And then after he led this first wave of return, it was followed by Ezra, who we're going to look at. It's picking up in chapter 7, who leads the second return around 458 BC. And then Nehemiah, the book after this one, who rebuilds the wall of Jerusalem about 13 years later in 445 BC. So if you're a history buff, you just got a little bit, you're like, oh, yeah, I like that stuff makes the Bible come alive, some people would say, when you know that actual history documented supports God's word. It's a beautiful thing to know his truth is there. So we have the history of this return in Ezra for the first two post-exilic returns to Jerusalem, and that's what we're going to be looking at as we go through. So now that you've got the history, now that you've got the stage set, let's go back to Jeremiah, which Ezra 1 told us to do, and let's see what we're talking about here in Ezra, how this word of the Lord was going to become fulfilled through the prophet Jeremiah. So turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 25. I want to read for us verses 1 through 14. Jeremiah 25 verses 1 through 14. The word of God says this, the word that came to Jeremiah concerning All the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. That's important. Y'all remember that cat? All right. Nebuchadnezzar. Another fun name to say. Which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, even to this day, this is the 23rd year in which the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, but you have not listened. And the Lord has sent to you all his servants, the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not listened, nor inclined your ear to hear. They said, repent now everyone of his evil way and his evil doings and dwell in the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers forever and ever. Do not go after other gods to serve them and worship them. Do not provoke me to anger with the works of your hands and I will not harm you. Yet you have not listened to me, says the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to your own hurt. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my words, behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, says the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, oh, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, and against these nations all around, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing, a perpetual and perpetual desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones and the light of the lamp, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. There's prophecy for you. Then it will come to pass, when 70 years are completed, that I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, says the Lord. And I will make it a perpetual desolation. So I will bring on that land all my words which I have pronounced against it, All that is written in this book, which Jeremiah has prophesied concerning all the nations, 
For many nations and great kings shall be served by them also, and I will repay them according to their deeds and according to the works of their own hands. So you see now this background. You see where we're leading up to here in Ezra with why the Israelites have been brought into captivity. The Lord being very specific through the prophet Jeremiah. It's going to be a 70-year period. It's going to be a 70-year whooping. <laughs> be a 70-year grounding, if you will. Kids, can you all imagine being grounded for 70 years? <laughs> Come on. And then I'm going to punish the people who I even used to bring you here in the first place because I see their sin too. Do you see God's faithfulness? That God's going to use who he uses for his glory, for his will, to bring people back to himself. That's the ultimate goal. Even inside of the sin and what Satan is using to destroy, God's going to use it sometimes for us to see, hey, man, Sin's nasty. Sin's messy. Sin brings trouble, destruction, pain. That's why God doesn't want us to fall into it. That's why he tried to call his people out. But then, hey, if you choose it, then, yeah, I'm going to send you on this 70-year period where you're grounded. You're in captivity. But then I'm going to call you back. And it's the beautifulness of the heart of God to his people. So we see these Israelites under captivity, brought under it by this dude named Nebuchadnezzar, this evil king, right? And, he, and here's the bad part. It's bad enough, I, I hope you would agree, it's bad enough for, to be taken out of your homeland, right? It's bad enough for your homes to be destroyed. Bad enough for your temple where you worship the Lord to be destroyed. For your people, your friends, some of your family members to be murdered, and then for the rest of them to, to be brought into slavery. That's, that's bad enough, isn't it? But then wouldn't it be a little worse if you knew it was your fault? And how many times have we experienced that in our life? I've experienced that in my life where bad times happen. And I can honestly look back and say, Brad, it's because of your choices. How about you? How many choices, wrong decisions Turning against God, turning against what you knew God didn't want you to do. How many decisions like that did you make that, that led you down a path that you didn't want to be in? And all you could do is look back and say, it's my fault. I've heard somebody say, life equals the sum of your choices. And it does. And these people made their choices. They made their bed, if you want to call it. And they had to live in it. They had to lay in it. And God was trying to call him out of it. And so many times today, God's trying to call us out of this sin. He's trying to call us out of this culture, out of this evil. Everything that, that Satan wants to use to try to tempt us and make us fall into, God's trying to call us out. But so many times we, we choose us and not God. We choose the world's way in a way that makes sense in our own mind, that makes us comfortable. And we run from the truth of God's word. And that's what these people had done. So yes, there was people here, the majority of them, they were there because of their own choices. But then there was a few of them there like Daniel and like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who were there not because of their own choices, because they were following and standing for God, but they were there because of other people's sin and choices. Have you ever experienced that as well? where you would do as best you can and nobody's perfect, but you were trying to follow God and because of some other people's choices, you ended up in a season of captivity yourself. Guys, I would argue that we all have experienced that because we're living in it right now. We're living in a country that's turned its back on God and we're seeing the repercussions of that. We're seeing how God is using evil kings, if you will, and leaderships to bring more evil into society because we've turned our back on him. And he's been trying to call us out. He's been trying to say it. And, and, and the few people that do stand up and preach God's word, people run away from it and go to a teacher that tickles their ears because they don't want sound doctrine anymore. So that's what we're living in right now. There's many of us today that we seek God, that we feel like we're not of this world because the closer we get to God and the farther this world falls away from him, you should day in and day out feel more and more like you don't belong here anymore. 
You should. And if you don't, wake up and examine yourselves and see if you're of the faith. Because things ain't going so hot spiritually around us. And we're becoming more of a minority. And we're becoming to the point where we're persecuted for the faith. And it's going to get worse, baby. All those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, is what Paul told Timothy. All of us. Not some. And here's it. Not just the one that call themselves Christians. Not the ones that go to church. That's not the ones who be persecuted. It's the ones who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, who make a stand in a godless culture like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They were persecuted for standing for the faith. But God was with them in the fire and in the lion's den. Amen? So why would we think God would do any different to us? We may find ourselves in a lion's den. We may find ourselves in a fiery furnace. But God is with us. And if he chooses not to save us, just like Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego said, then so be it. But I am not going to offend God. I will offend man before I offend God. Is that your stance? Is that your heart? Because that's what God's called us to do. So we do have a remnant, a group of people in here that are brought into captivity. And it wasn't their fault. But it was their opportunity to make a stand for Jesus in a godless culture. It's a shame on us because sometimes I get in the same way of thinking. And and I hear it sometimes, man, I wish we could just go back to the good old days. You know what I'm saying? Back when, you know, everybody loved the Lord and morality was all through. Yeah, I do too. But God's up to something. He's punishing sin. And for those of us that will stand, he's going to use us to shine the light of Christ. So you were appointed and made for such a time as this. Yes, I would love to go back when it was easy to preach like this too. And everybody's like, woo, that's a great place to go. But I'm going to tell you, man, that hasn't happened the first five years of this church. I've seen many people get up in the middle of my sermon and walk out. And I hate it. It breaks my heart. But at the same time, I know what I've got to do. I've got to preach the word. I'm not here to tickle ears because I believe we're in the fourth quarter. And in the fourth quarter, the coach, God, is looking for people to be on the field to make a play. And I want to make a play for Jesus. How about you? So here we are. Here they are. Some by the work of their own hands. Some by the work of other people's hands. Nevertheless, they're in captivity. And then I love what the Bible says here in this passage we just read. Did you catch it? Where he talked about Nebuchadnezzar. And he says... Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. What? Does that mean Nebuchadnezzar was godly? No, far from it. But do you see the sovereignty of God in that? This was not the work of a man in the evil heart that was doing this to God's people. This was the sovereignty of God using him to bring the paddle to his people so that at the end he could call them back once they realized that sin stinks. Guys, today I believe God's using some men and some women to bring some pain on our society so that hopefully a few will wake up and say sin stinks. Abortion stinks. Religious persecution and control stinks. And I want to turn back to a holy God. There'll be some that'll do it. The majority will still go the other way. Because the Bible is very clear there's a great falling away at the end time that it has to take place. So we, as followers of Christ, as the the remnant, will only be faced with a choice. To follow the crowd for our own comfort or to make a stand for Jesus when it's not comfortable. So despite many, many, many warnings, some decades of years of preaching from Jeremiah, these people didn't listen. He was screaming from the rooftops. This is what the word of the Lord says. I'm telling you, come. You don't have to endure the punishment of this sin. If you would just turn from your ways and turn back to God, he loves you. He wants to to give you life and give it to the full. And he preached this for like 40 years and they they didn't listen. And then God's through God's faithfulness, he, he brought the punishment because he's just. 
And they had to endure it. And I think it's kind of more than a coincidence. And I did this when I was in my truck praying and studying and reading like I do. And I was reading, and I looked through Jeremiah chapter 14. And I didn't give the tech that to put up on the screen or anything, so I apologize. But I just want to read it to you. In Jeremiah chapter 14, verses 10 through 17, the Lord just showed me something that, man, I just had to share. So in verse 10, it says, Thus says the Lord to, his, to this people, Thus they have loved to wander. They have not restrained their feet. Talking about the people of Israel. They've wandered away from me. They've not restrained their feet. Don't even try. It says, Therefore the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. We've been there. We know that. We've talked about it. Let's continue. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people for their good. When they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offering, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Slam on the brakes for just a minute. You mean when they go just to ask for forgiveness and stuff that they're not going to re- get it? I thought First John 1 John 1.9 said, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What is this about? It's about the heart. God knew the people's heart. They wanted to come and, and, and they knew they were, in a sense, they were trying to mock God, right? God cannot be mocked. A man's going to reap what he sows. God knew their heart. that They just wanted out of their pain. They really didn't want to repent and turn to him at this point. So he said, hey, man, don't, don't worry about them. Don't pray for them because I ain't going to hear them anyway because their heart's not right. They can go to church. They can shed some tears. But until their heart is ready to repent and turn from their sin, I can't hear it. That's what God's saying. That's the truth of the Bible. That's the truth of what repentance is. Repentance is not remorse. Did you know that? Repentance is a heart that's ready to turn, and it is manifested by changed behavior. That's repentance. Here's the beautiful part of repentance through Christ. We don't have to do the work of changing our behavior all by ourselves. It's the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit in us that gives us the power and even the the desire to change. So let me make that very clear. But it still only happens through a surrendered heart, one that chooses God's way and not their own way. That's repentance. Let's continue in verse 13. It says, then I said, this is the prophet saying, Jeremiah saying back to the Lord, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, so there's some other prophets around. Did you get that? Behold, the prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. Those were the pulpit pansies of the day. Those were the ear ticklers. Did you catch that? Did you catch that? There were some prophets telling the people, ah, you ain't got to worry about that. The Lord, he ain't going to do all that to you. He loves you. You're his people. He's a God of love and grace and mercy. In the hyper-crace preaching of the day, baby, you ain't got to worry about that. False prophets, they're here today. They're right down the streets from this church. And they're preaching fluffy, ear-tickling gospels. Making people still feel comfortable in their sin and say, ah, you ain't got to worry about it. God's okay with you. You can have your sin in Jesus too. And they're leading people straight to hell. Because they've painted a picture of a Jesus that's not the Jesus of this Bible. And they were there in this day too. Telling the people, you know, you're not, not going to endure all this that Jeremiah's saying and that God's saying. So what does the Lord say? And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophecy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who prophesy in my name, who I did not send, and who say sword and famine shall not be on this land, by the sword and famine those prophets shall be consumed. And the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. Don't listen to the false teachers of the age, guys, that are telling you that it's okay. And God said it's not okay. You fill in the blank with it. What's it? Satan, the world, maybe a false teacher has deceived you into thinking it is okay with God. Just keep doing it. You won't get God's wrath, God's punishment, God's judgment. What have you been deceived with? When God's very clear, it is not okay. And it's time to repent and return. Because he wants to rebuild something in you. That's God's word today. I had to share that with you when I saw it. It just couldn't go unshared. It's a beautiful picture of what was happening then is happening today. And people are falling for it. But here's the good news. Even though there's bad news, that yeah, there's a just God who punishes sin, there's a good news that he doesn't want you to have to endure it. He doesn't want you to have to wallow in it. He doesn't want you to have to stay in captivity, to continue to live in your addiction, to continue to live under false teaching. He wants you to see the light and the truth of his word. He wants to bring you out because he loves you. He does love you. Romans 5 eight says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that even when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That means even in the midst of your sin, with you stiff-arming God right now, he still loves you and he wants to call you out right now today. Will you listen to him, though? Will you listen to the words of the prophet, of, of this bald-headed preacher sitting up here screaming and yelling and jumping up and down every Sunday trying to keep you awake, right? Will you listen to the, to the word of God that I bring? Or will you just say, ah, I'll take 90% of what you say, Pastor, but that stuff you covered on all that other stuff about, you know, the, you know, uh, the sexual immorality stuff. Well, I, I like sleeping with my girlfriend and before I'm married, so I, I'm just not going to listen to that. And all that alcohol stuff, man, I see what you're saying, man, but I, I, that, 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 I don't know, man. That stuff makes me feel good. I don't know. What are you doing? I don't get up here every week and give my opinion on purpose. I present God's word in truth only so that his spirit will move in you to change you. But it's not my job to ensure that you listen at yours. Obedience is what God is calling us to. Let me tell you what, we live in a society, unfortunately, fueled by the enemy that wants you and I to believe that obedience is legalism. And that is a lie from the pit of hell. God calls us to obedience. Let me be very clear, obedience doesn't save you. You're justified only through faith. It's not of works. But then the rest of that passage in Ephesians tells us that God, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. So you don't do good works to get saved, but you surely will do good works if you really are saved. You surely will. He'll change your heart. He'll change your attitude. You will have a desire to walk in obedience, and it won't be legalism. Legalism says, I'm trying to do these things really good so I can be a really good Christian and please God. No, I'm doing these things because I want to honor and serve my Lord who went to the cross and died for me so that I don't have to be a slave to sin anymore, so that I don't conform to the patterns of this world, so that I can be transformed by the renewing my mind. That's my motivation. That's it. That's obedience. It's not legalism. And it's what God calls us to. It's what God called the Israelites to, to repent and turn back to his ways. And the call is still the same today, to return and come home. Will you return and come home today to be and to experience everything God has for you? We saw at the end of that passage we read in Jeremiah 25 that all these people these evil kings, these Babylonians were going to get what's coming to them. He saw their sin too. They won't go unpunished either. And then as we move through Jeremiah, hearing this prophet and knowing that Ezra pointed us back to him, let's look at another passage during this time that we alluded to at one point back. I believe it was in the, in the last sermon series, but we talked about Jeremiah 29. 
So let's look at that. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 29. And we're going to see verse 1, and then we're going to read verses 10 through 14. And inside that, you're going to hear a verse that you're extremely familiar with. You may even have it on your wall at home, or on your wall on your Facebook page, or some kind of wall. Jeremiah 29, verse 1. Now these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the remainder of the elders who were carried away captive. So he's talking to who? Talking to all the people who have been brought into Babylon in captivity, into slavery. He's talking to the elders, to the spiritual leaders right now, to the priests, to the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. Are you ready? You got the context now of the chapter? That's who we're speaking to. Now, let's go to verse 10. For thus says the Lord... After 70 years are completed at Babylon, there's that prophecy again, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. Oh, did you catch that? No one comes to the Lord unless he draws you. He's going to cause you to return. He's going to tug on your heart. He's going to pull on you. You may buck and resist, and you may turn away from him. That's your choice. That's your free will. But I promise, if you come back to him, it's not because there's anything good in you. It's because there's everything good in him. And he's calling you back. Don't miss that. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Know this verse? Thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Verse 12. There's a verse 12, by the way. Did you know that? Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to the place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. There's the beautifulness of God. Did you get some context in that verse? Because, man, if I quote NIV, that's probably where you're most familiar with it. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. And everybody uses that to think the Lord's going to give me some, some bling, baby. Woo! Lord's got plans to prosper me. Bring it on, Lord. Bring me the blessings. Bring me the blessings. Ain't that the context people quote that verse in? Blessings, blessings, blessings. The context is him calling people out of sin. Not just to pour some material things on you. Big house and a car and some money and a raise at your work. That's not it. I know the plans I have for you. What are those plans? Verse 12 says it. Here's his plans for you to call on him. For you to pray to him. And then God will listen to you. What's the other plan? For you to seek him. And you'll find him when you seek him. And you'll find him. You'll find what you're looking for. That's the plan that he has for you is to repent, to turn to him, to pray, to seek his face. I'm going to tell you right now, we got way too many people in this world, even in the 21st century church of America, that loves to seek the hand of God. They want his blessings, but they don't seek his face. It's the genie in a bottle. I want them blessings. I want them prosperity. I want that. But persecution for your name? Nah. Matthew 16, 24 through 26, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me. That means if you want to call yourself a Christian, by the way. If anyone would come after me. If anybody really wants to be a Christian, what did Jesus say you must do? Deny yourself. Oh. That's not popularly preached today, though. That's the first step to coming to Christ. You better deny yourself. That's it. Then what did he say? Then be ready to take up your cross. And follow him. That's that persecution. It's going to come. Because if you want to try to save your own life, you're going to lose it anyway. But if you lose your life for his sake, you're going to find what you're looking for. The Bible says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? 
There's too many people forfeiting their soul because they're looking for the hand of God. They're looking for a blessing. They haven't denied themselves and surrendered their heart totally God. They walk in and out of church doors every Sunday. They sing Amazing Grace. They may even teach Sunday school, but they don't have Jesus in their heart. They have a crucifix around their neck. They have a bumper sticker on their car, but they don't have Christ in their heart. And they're living a lie. And God's calling them back to the truth today, to repentance and to turn toward a holy God who wants to change them from the inside out. That's Jeremiah 29, 11. Now you got some context. And it's beautiful, and it's God speaking to these people in captivity to come out. So as we go through Ezra, this first part will be the first wave where the Lord sends his people back through and what's the first thing they do? They go back and build their own house, I bet, right? They go back and find their stuff. What did they go back and do? They went back to the house of the Lord and rebuilt it. If you're truly returning to Christ, it has nothing about you seeking what you need, what you want, what you're looking for. It has everything about seeking him. I think it's a beautiful picture. The first step in this return is to return back to the house of the Lord. And I live, and you live right now, in a culture where church attendance is falling. And a lot of it is fueled by an enemy who's using a virus called COVID-19 to keep people out of church, to make pastors close churches down, to forsake the gathering. Let me tell you, it's important. If you're sick and you've been sick, please stay home. Don't bring the cooties up in here. Watch online that week. But if you're well, you need to be in the house of the Lord. You may say, well, Brad, I'm scared I might get sick. Yeah, and you might get sick at Walmart that you go to every week, in a job you go to every day, in a restaurant you eat at three times a week, in a gas station you pump your gas at. But at least you didn't get sick at church. Stop living in fear and don't let the enemy pull you away from where God wants you. This is where you return to. This is the first place you return to is to come to be in the house of the Lord so that you can serve the body of Christ, so you can serve this community, that we can reach people for Jesus. Because it ain't the same without you. I promise you that. There's an empty seat here with your name on it. I'd love to see you next week if you're online, if you're well. If you're sick, stay home. And everybody else, wash your hands. But we're having church because we're calling people to repentance, to return, to be discipled, to grow in the strength and the admonition of the Lord. And that's why life groups are important, to get plugged in, to grow. Everything Jim was talking about up here at the first. Man, Sunday morning's great, and, and I, I want to I start discipleship right here. But this is where mere discipleship may start, but this cannot be where it finishes for you. This is not all we are. You have to get plugged in. You have to get plugged in. Serve. Use your gifts, your abilities to, to build this church. I'm going to tell you, man, it's, it's not going to be one day we're going to have a building out here real soon, okay? But it's not going to be, whoo, we arrived. We can let our foot off the gas and just chill in the AC and in the heat. Finally got a level floor <laughs> with no mud seeping up on our shoes and no condensation dripping on our head. It's not going to be time to let off the gas, people. I can tell you that. It's going to be time to shift gears. Because this will be nothing more than a tool used by Jesus Christ to reach this community. And we need the Lord to send workers into his harvest field. That's what it'll be. It'll be time for more people to serve. Not time to let off the gas. We're charging forward with the strength of Christ. Right now, everything about you and in your life is being played out, possibly as a result of some of the choices you've made or some of the choices of others. But make no mistake, God is going to use all of it to call you back. If you've made the wrong choices, and like these Israelites, you found out that sin really stinks and causes a lot of pain, and the things of this world have really no hope in them, and you're looking for something else, would you answer the call of God tugging on your heart right now? Tapping you on the shoulder, saying, I'm still here. Here's the beautiful thing with God. You may have run 
200 miles from Jesus. As fast as you possibly can. Here's the beautiful thing of the cross and of the gospel. It's only one step back. One step. You don't have to come the whole 200 miles back before he's ready to receive you. He's, he knows where you are, and he wants to meet you where you're at, and he wants to call you right back today. Will you take the first step back to Jesus today, the first step back to his truth? Maybe you've been deceived by false teachers and false prophets. Will you see the truth of God's word, and will you take the first step back today? God's calling for the return, because as we're going to see through the rest of this book we're about to go through, he's going to rebuild something. And he wants to rebuild something in you. The Bible says God will take away and restore all the years that the locusts have eaten. Do you believe that? Do you know that? Maybe the the locusts of the world and of sin and of pain and of other people's sin have just eaten away at your life and God wants to restore all that. Will you come running back to him today? It's God's vision for your life. Because he knows what the enemy's up to. He knows what he's using to destroy you, to take you down, to deceive you, to make you doubt, to make you live in fear. He knows it all. It's no shock to him. But for those that are ready and have finally seen the truth and the light and are ready to answer the call, he spread out his arms on a cross. And they put nails in them. And they pierced his feet. And he hung there and he died on that cross as a lamb led to the slaughter so his body could be broken and his blood could be shed for you so that you could return. You don't have to go sacrifice an animal anymore because the lamb and the blood that was shed at Calvary is sufficient for all. Have you received him? I mean, really, have you surrendered to him? I don't mean have you come to church, have you had an emotional experience at the altar one day. I mean, have you surrendered your heart and your will to Jesus? Romans 10, 9 and 10 tells us it's with our heart that we're justified. Yes, it's with our mouth that we confess and are saved, but it's with your heart. Have you surrendered your heart, your all, your everything, to Christ. If not, I want you to do that today, right now. Or if you're here and you said, Brad, I've drifted, I've ran, I've been pulled away, but I'm ready to return. And you're ready to rededicate your life back to a holy God who's ready to restore and rebuild you. I want you to do that today as well, right now in this place. Let's bow our head, let's close our eyes. if you want to receive Christ for the first time, truly receive him or rededicate your life to him, I want you to mean business with God. This is with your heart that you're going to be saved. It's not with these words alone. This prayer will not save you. That is not the gospel. It's with your heart that you're ready to surrender totally and fully and completely to him that you're saved. Will you repent and answer his call to return, to receive him for the first time and rededicate to say, dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of you, my Savior. And I feel your call to me right now to come home. So here I am, Lord. I surrender. Thank you for sending Jesus, your only Son, God in the flesh, to die a horrific death on a cross, to take the punishment, the wrath of sin that was due me, And he placed it upon himself so that when I receive him, I could be set free from that punishment and that eternal destruction. And Lord, thank you for raising him from the grave three days later, proving that he is God and that he is all victorious over everything, over sin, hell, death, and the grave. And Lord, right now, I need and I want to claim that same victory right now in my life, Lord, because I need it and my family needs it. So I'm coming surrendered to you. 
my commitment to you today is from this day forward, for the rest of my life, that I live for you. Would you come, save me, renew me, restore me, and rebuild me for your glory? Amen. If that's you and you prayed that prayer right now, you meant business with God today. You received him for the first time or you rededicated your life to him today. You answered the call to return and you made that stand today. I want you to boldly and unashamed raise your hand. Say, Brett, I prayed that prayer. I meant business with God today. I see you. I see you. This is for you. This is not for me. Make your stand for the Lord. You did that. You meant business with God today. Amen. Amen. Impact. Can we give Jesus a big round of applause for his faithfulness to speak through his word, to, to call us back to him, to restore, renew, rebuild. Thank you for being here today. Let's stay well this week. Let's return next Sunday. Let's bring somebody with us. If you're a college student, grab some friends, grab some people, bring them back. You got room. We've got drive-in. If people are uncomfortable being in crowds just yet, man, you can getting cars back there you can pull the chairs away whatever you got to do but just come and just bring people to hear the truth of God's word we're continuing in this sermon series next week and getting fired up in Ezra so let's take the word today let's make an impact for Jesus we'll see you next Sunday thanks again for joining us today the Lord is truly doing an amazing work and we would love for you to be a part of it Check out the show notes for links to our website and social media pages. Or if you're ever in the Lynchburg or Forest, Virginia area, please come on by and join us in making an impact for Christ.